God, we thank you for this opportunity we have to just gather together in the space and to clear our hearts and our minds of distraction. This place where we can um, focus our attention on you. It's so good. We, t- we take spaces like this for granted. And we truly are blessed just to be together and to be here in your presence worshiping. As we open your word and jump into this next message, I pray that you'd give us clarity, that you'd help us see you. We don't need more me. We don't need more of us. We just need more of you. So would you speak to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to welcome you. Good morning, 930. So good to have you here. I welcome you, those of you that are in Tremont. We're pumped to welcome our Tremont location this morning. It's always good. I don't know if you've been up there yet. Man, you should check that campus out sometime soon. It's an amazing group of people, amazing campus. I love it up there. And, uh, and as we have been growing, I don't know if you noticed that, we're kind of like growing a little bit early for this time of year, and that's okay, that's great. Uh, our job is just to make space for whoever wants to attend and everybody in our community and people, God keeps bringing us people, we'll keep making space. And once you know that while Cresona's getting a little crowded, 9.30 and 11 o'clock, we are keeping an eye on that and we have a plan and we're waiting for the appropriate time to kind of implement that. And uh, so just be patient with us if it gets a little smushed in your row. <laughs> and uh, carry extra breath mints because it's hard enough when you have to sit right next to somebody you don't know. It's even harder when they got that coffee breath going, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) I'm just so glad that you're here. We're jumping into a message this morning in our series that's called New Year, Same You. We've kind of looked at this whole idea that like maybe the answer that you're looking for this next year isn't more you. I don't know how your resolutions usually work out. Mayan died months ago. (laughs) And that's because I've learned that, like, I'm not the solution I seek. I don't, see, see, a more disciplined, a more put together, a better looking, a more in shape Josh Ott, it may serve me well in the temporary, but when it comes to what I'm really looking for in life, I always let myself down. And maybe you do too. Maybe you're discovering painfully sometimes, maybe Maybe it takes a little longer because you have to learn things the hard way, but maybe you're discovering that maybe what you need in life is not a more, more of you, not a better you, not a more disciplined you. Maybe what you need in life is more of God and what he's already been trying to provide you with. And so we've been looking through the series and we've been saying, all right, what if it's, what if it's a new year but it's the same me just embracing more of what God's given me? Just embracing my purpose, just embracing the meaning he adds to life, just embracing more of his word and more of his character. What if the answer isn't me, it's just a bigger God? And uh, we've talked about all kinds of things in this series. Last week, we talked about how to resist the resistors. and This week, we're going to talk about your greatest resistor, which is you. The, the, The message title for this morning is called... I'm not there yet, (laughs) or I don't have it all together, but I'm growing. I don't know if you'll be able to relate to this at all, but what I want to talk about is spiritual growth, your spiritual growth this year, but maybe from a different kind of like perspective, because I really think what I need most in my life is to maybe just adjust my expectations a little, 
because my expectations can run a little wild. It's easy to adjust my expectations of other people. Disappointing, but it's easier. When people don't live up to my expectations of them, I've just learned, like you've learned, to dial back my expectations, to maybe settle for less, expect a little less out of them, turn it down, maybe even realize that they're human too. It's much harder when I think about the expectations I have for myself. You see, dialing down those expectations the things I expect from myself, the better I want to see in myself, the more discipline I want to see in myself, adjusting those expectations can be the hardest. You see, what I've learned is, maybe you've learned this too, my worst enemy isn't out there. It's right here. I'm the biggest limiting factor in my life and to my own personal growth and development. Last week we talked about how to resist the resistors and we unfortunately all have people who will resist in life. Every time we go to take a step forward, the voice of the resistors are there telling us why we're not good enough or why we shouldn't. But as I reflected on that message in my own life, what I had to admit to myself this week is, I'm my own biggest resistor. What am I supposed to do about that? What am I supposed to do when I'm the one who's constantly getting in the way? When I set these expectations for myself that I'm constantly disappointing and falling short on? What do we do when we're our greatest limiting factor? When we are our worst critic? When we are the biggest voice of our own resistance? I wonder what God thinks when... He says things like, you are made in my image, and we look in the mirror and say things like, I'm, I'm, I'm so ugly. If only, I, if only I looked like that person, maybe my life would be better or different. I wonder what God thinks when he says, you are worth so much, you're worth the life of my son. And we look in the mirror and we say things like, oh, I'm worthless. When he says, I've created you for purpose and meaning, and we look in the mirror and think, ah, I'm just no good. My life doesn't have any meaning. I wonder what he thinks when he says, you are worth so much, and we say we aren't worth anything. When he says, your life is precious, and we wonder if maybe the people in our lives would be better off without us. I wonder what he thinks. I wonder what your dialogue is when you look at yourself in the mirror and you become your biggest critic, your most limiting factor, the source of your most resistance. You see, I think we say and think those kind of things when we don't live up to the expectations we have on ourselves, the expectations we assume others have of us, and sometimes even the expectations we feel and assume that God has on our lives. Here's a little bit of some freeing truth for you that we're gonna push deep into this morning. You don't have it all together. 
and that's okay. It's one of those things that's freeing to admit and even more freeing to admit out loud. We don't do this often here because I'm, I'm like, I don't want to make it weird. Church can get weird enough without my help. Can anybody, does anybody like agree? With, you ever been in one of those situations? <laughs> We're like, yeah, some of your outfits, bro. <laughs> um, we don't do this often, but I want to do it this morning. So I'm going to force you into little sermon participation in Tremont and here in Cresona. Even if you're online watching on your work break or stuck in a closet somewhere hoping your boss doesn't catch you doing a little church this morning on your cell phone. Like, I want to do this together. Um, So welcome. And uh, how about this? Look at your neighbor and say, I I look pretty good this morning, but I don't have it all together. Go ahead. Don't be shy. I look pretty good this morning but I don't have it all together. If that doesn't feel good, take a moment and admit out loud, I'm a mess, I'm just a downright mess. I'm pretty good at putting on a show, but I know me, and inside, I'm barely holding on by a thread. I can hardly keep it together. I walked in here with a smile on my face, but I was fighting with my family the whole right here. I got my nice shirt on. Um, this is like not, not self-confession, right? Like this is not my, I got my nice shirt on, but inside I'm just pretty angry this morning. I had my coffee, but I'm barely here. I wish I was anywhere. It's, it's freeing. It's freeing to admit. There's some moms just being killed by the expectations they have placed on themselves. There's some men that are just being killed by the expectations they placed on themselves. There's some young people just being killed on the expectations they assume other people have on them and just spend all of this energy trying to live up to it. Can we just stop it for a minute and admit, I don't have it all together. I'm a mess and it's okay. It's okay. The reason why I had you do that all out loud is because it's something Paul did. I think Paul, the the apostle who wrote so many of these under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so many of the books of the Bible in the New Testament, he comes to this place in Romans chapter 7. This is the main passage I want to talk about this morning. Romans chapter 7 and verse 14. Can I read it with you? Maybe you want to follow along. If I were you, I would write this reference down in the minimum because if you have been struggling with the expectations you have placed on yourself and you've been a huge disappointment lately, if maybe you're like me and you just need to tell somebody, hey, I don't know what you expect of me, but here comes a dumpster fire rolling into your life, it's really freeing when Paul who is so close to Jesus, who under inspiration of the Holy Spirit penned so much of the New Testament that we use to instruct ourselves and teach ourselves how to live and be more like Christ in Romans chapter seven and verse 14. He says, we know that the law is spiritual. Now listen to this. But I am unspiritual. I'm sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Can somebody just be like, that's me? 
this morning? Is that some of the most freeing words in Scripture? Here, this one we learn from and study all the time. Who God used in absolute incredible. The reason we are sitting here as Gentiles in a Gentile church worshiping is due to the fact of God using Paul to bring the gospel to us. And here he is saying, I don't, I'm not even spiritual. The things I want to do that I know I should do are the things I don't do. The things I know I shouldn't do, those are the, I hate this about me, but those are the things that I keep doing. What you have here in this very transparent passage is a confession of someone we should like model after, a very transparent confession of a spiritual man who is so unspiritual, a teacher who messed it up often. At one point in scripture, he says, I'm the chiefest of the sinners. You think you're bad. You think you haven't lived up to your expectations or God's expectations of you. Guess what? Paul's out sprinting you on every level. He continues on. I wonder if this was shocking for the church. I wonder if this was shocking, like if I just came in and just said, <laughs> everything that I hate to do, I just keep on doing. You'd be like, and you're our pastor? We knew something was off with the sweatshirts, man. But this is a little too much. He goes on, he says, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good as it is. I, I no longer myself do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Like that's, the preacher comes in and says, I want to do the right thing. I just don't. I just don't. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this is what I keep doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in me. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus my Lord. Now you could write a book just on this passage. You could do an eight-week sermon series just on this passage. There's so much in it. It's so deep talking about our sinful nature and the law. And there's just so much to learn. But I want to summarize it in just one short sentence. Paul says, like, I keep missing the mark. That's the definition of sin. It's to miss the mark. And I'm hopeless if it's up to me. But thank God for Jesus and his grace. Because that, he delivers me. So it's, 
so freeing to say it. I don't have it all together. But I know who does. I'm a mess. But I know the one who isn't. There's such freedom in that, and I don't know if freedom is a part of your spiritual or religious repertoire, but Galatians 5.1 says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He set us free from the law of sin and death. He set us free from the guilt and all the shame. He set us free so that we could be free of our own broken expectations, of missing the mark, of having to try to have it all together in and of ourselves. 2 Corinthians 3, 17, in case you need more ammo for this one, is it where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. Psalm 119, 45, I walk in freedom for I sought his precepts. You see, Paul has this incredible admission, but he doesn't stop there. I think it's throughout so much of Paul's writing, but the, the greatest summary is in, in, is in Philippians 3 and verse 2. And if I could just paraphrase that, you can look it up later. This is a pretty close paraphrase. He's like, I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived at my goal. I'm not the man I want to be. I'm not the Christ follower I want to be. I'm not there yet. You could almost put it down like, I don't have it all together. I'm a bit of a mess. But one thing I do, I press on, I press forward to take hold of what Christ has taken hold of me for. It's freedom. A relationship with him. The grace I love this about Paul because it's this admission with a little like caveat at the end. You see, to just admit you're a mess, that's great and it's so freeing. But to stay a mess, well, that's just not fun. To say I don't have it all together, that's so freeing. But to be like content with being a train wreck or a dumpster fire and the havoc it reaches and causes it in all of our relationships, well, that just doesn't really cut it either. You see, I want to be able to admit I'm a mess and free myself from these crazy and false expectations I put on myself, but I also don't want to stay a mess. If not for my sake, for my kids' sake, for my wife's sake, for my friend's sake, for my church's sake. And so Paul here, he's like, I'm a mess, but I'm not staying there. I'm not perfect, but I'm growing. You see, that's a much better expectation to, to kind of like reset ourselves with. It's okay that you're a mess, but you don't have to stay there. It's okay that you don't have it all together, but you don't have to be stuck in that mess, it's okay not to be perfect, but stay growing. And that's what I want to, that's what we're pushing into this morning. New Year, same you, just growing on a journey, little by little, small step by small step, having a life that looks in little glimpses a little bit more, a little bit at a time, more like Jesus.
that's where I want to be. Is that where you, you want to be? I feel like when I talk about growth, i got to kind of restructure it a little bit. And I want to, so to kind of end this message, we're going to end with a confession. My confession that I, I'm going to ask you to make yourselves. If you're feeling this, if this is something you need, if God's moving in your heart or stirring around in you in any way, I think. But, but before we get there, can I just restructure growth a little bit for us? Like adjust our expectations of what spiritual growth is. Maybe we can talk a little bit nicer to ourselves when we look in the mirror. Maybe we can be a little kinder. Maybe we can just accept a little more of the grace that God's trying to lavish on us all the time if we just kind of like restructure how we think about spiritual growth. As a church kid growing up in a pastor's home, man, my idea of what growth looks like was jacked up. I saw all these people who pretended pretty good, but then I would sneak down the steps onto this little platform where mom and dad couldn't see me, and I would hear all the stories about what really was going on in their lives. That'll jack you up real fast. I would try to live up to the expectations of other people that I imagined were their growth. If, if I was growing, I would look like this. I would sound like this. I would read scripture with thou's and these. I would wear a tie to church. I would behave myself more. I wouldn't be so angry or talk back so much. I could never meet those expectations of what growth is. So I want to be able to say like Paul, I'm I'm not there yet, but I'm growing. To do that, I have to understand growth on a different kind of level than maybe what church and religion has twisted up just a little bit, just a little off the mark. And so here's point number one about resetting our idea of spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is not linear. It's messy. Look at Peter. Peter takes a bunch of steps forward. He's the first one to admit that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And then he epically fails. He jumps out of the boat in this grand expression of faith and walks on water, and then he quickly sinks. He says all the wrong things at all the wrong times, and sometimes he says the right things at the right times. He comes out and says, I will never fail you, Jesus. And Jesus says, before the crow calls, you will deny me three times. He did in epic fashion, cursing out some kid in the courtyard as Jesus was being beaten. But there Jesus was, meeting him with grace every time. The next time Jesus saw him, he was cooking breakfast for him on the beach, and they took a walk. And Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church. I'm going to use you to do it. You see, growth is not linear. You don't like come to faith in Jesus or show up to church and then everything looks like a straight line heading in the point direct in the right direction. It's a it's a mess. And you're gonna mess it up. And you're gonna fail. And in your weakness, you're gonna say things you should have never said and do things you never thought you would do. And that's why grace is there from Jesus pursuing you every step of the way. It's his grace that you learn to savor when you realize that spiritual growth is not a straight line. It's also full of failure. You could make a case for the fact that if you never fail, you never really understand grace or God's love. If you're never willing to admit your shortcomings, your own sin, how you missed the mark, you never really experience God's grace and his love. Peter's a great example that spiritual growth is full of failure, but so are so many of the old saints I know. So when the old saints talk about God, you know what they say? They are enamored with, 
addicted to and dependent on God's grace. They're some of the most perfect people I know. But if you compliment any of that in them, they're like, no, 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 Josh, you don't understand. I'm a mess. I mess up all the time. So my mom was like, you don't understand. One time I wrote in sidewalk chalk on our neighbor's sidewalk. I said, holy moly, I better not tell her all the stuff I did. That's a, if that's your like, that's the worst thing I did. <laughs> Move. <laughs> you know, mom, like, whew. You better not, well, you can't tell on her, on me, because she's with Jesus now anyway. Like, you know, like the, the saints that have really walked a long time in the right direction with God, they know how messed up they are, and they are infatuated with God's grace. You know what spiritual immaturity looks like? It looks like being able to follow a bunch of rules and not understanding or downplaying God's grace all the time. Spiritual growth is full of failure. Spiritual growth is not an outward expression. It's not what we look like at church. It's not how we sound when we read scripture. It's not how big our Bible is. It's not how straight our tie is. It's not how cleaned up our life looks. It's not that we have better church filters than everybody else. So when we walk through here, everybody thinks, oh man, there's somebody who's really spiritual. It's not about the outward, it's about the inward. I love this verse about in Jeremiah 12 and 2. It's a description of wicked people. And it says this in Jeremiah 12, 2 about the wicked. It says, their lips... You are all, talking about God, it says, you are always on their lips, but their hearts are far from you. And talking about throwing a flag up in church doesn't mean a whole lot if you know all the words to the song. If you're constantly reciting all the verses, if you know the right things to say, and someone's hurting, you know how to pray with them. Preach to them, witness to them. Share God. You could have all of the right words about Jesus on your lips, but have your heart far from him. That's why growth, it's not about the things you say, how you look, what you do on the outside, how spiritual you look. It's not about if you lead a connection group or not. It's not about if you stand on a stage or teach people or lead worship or people look to you for, it's not about the outside. It's about your heart. Here's another thing about spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is measured by grace, not morality. I knew this one would mess with some people. If I'm being transparent, it, it messed with me. It sounds risky, scandalous. Spiritual growth is not measured by morality or how good you are, how right you live. It's measured by grace. Because it was so scandalous, I'm like, I better like dig in and make sure like there's scripture to back it up. Second Peter 3.18 is one of my favorite verses. It's an instruction to the church of Galatia. And in that verse, Paul says, continue growing in the grace and knowledge of who Jesus is. Now you can... Circle those words there. That's what he's imploring his church to do as he writes this letter. It's not continue growing in the show. It's not continue growing in your behavior even. 
that all changes the more God has your heart with way less effort. He says, continue to grow in understanding the grace of Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of who Jesus is. We, though, we like the rules, they're easier. We write the rules out, we point to the rules, we hold other people up to the rules, we hold ourselves up to the rules, and it's a very good platform for judging others and making ourselves feel better because, after all, we're not as bad as that guy or that girl. But growth is not measured by morality. Galatians 5, it teaches us that the fruit of the Spirit, the, the way you know that God is working in your life and that you are growing, it's not by behavior, it's by love, peace, joy, self-control. It's things of the heart. So we don't measure our spiritual growth by who looks more moral, we look by who's pushing in to more grace and looking more like Jesus. Number five, the spiritual growth is driven by God, not by you. For a long time, I thought it was up to me, my spiritual growth, and so no wonder I felt like a failure all the time, if you could have seen me some of those days. And then my favorite verse quickly became Philippians 1, 6. It's my favorite verse because I'm desperate for it to be true, because I bungle it all the time. Philippians 1 says, 6 says this, for God began a good, for he who began a good work in you will complete it. What I love so much about that verse is it takes me right out of the equation. It's about what God does in me. It's driven by God, not by me. It's not about how much I can do for God. It's about how much he does in me as I'm willing to let him have my heart. Another uh, great verse for this is 1 Corinthians 3, 6 and 7. Paul's talking about the church there and he says, I planted the seed. Apollos, talking about another minister, he watered it, but God made it grow. And he goes on and he says, who am I? Who is the one who plants? Who is the one who waters? Nothing. They don't matter. It's God the one who does the growing. He's the one that gets the glory. He's the one who gets the credit. He's the one who's doing the good work in you, and he is the one who will complete it. Planting and watering is important, but we have to understand growth in myself and in the people I love is driven by Jesus and God. It's what he does in us. It's his sanctification of us, if you want the theological term. As we are willing to let him move in us. And here's the last one. It's unleashed by desire and willingness. This one was a struggle too, because if you grow up in church, sometimes you get the idea that desire is a naughty word. <laughs> My mom will be like, don't call it bad, call it naughty. We, we learn like, oh man, we gotta kill some desires in our lives. We have to cut some desires out. And somehow we throw like the baby out with the bathwater because God is the one who gave you desire. That's from him and his design for us. Now we can go south and sideways real fast, which is why even more so we need to point our desire towards him. It says in Luke chapter 12 that the 
apostles, Luke, sorry, Luke 17, chapter 5, the apostles said to Jesus after this really hard teaching, Lord, increase our faith. You know what that was? That was a cry from the desire of their heart, realizing that they can't do it. <laughs> They're a mess. They don't have it all together. They need God to do something in them. But they express their desire for him. That's what seeking God is all about. It's about turning our desire and pointing it towards him. Like, I need you to do something in me. I need you to do more in me. I need you. I want. I don't want to stay a mess, God. And the answer isn't in me. It's in you. I want more of you. I want, I want to know you. I want you to increase my faith. I want you to grow me. I want, I want you to change me. And then being willing to follow him as he does it. Or you begin. You received Christ. Now continue to live in Christ. It's about an ongoing willingness to yield to him. And you want to see more growth in your life. Turn your heart towards him. Ask him. Desire more of him. And then be willing to follow. Even if he asks you to do something that maybe seems a little difficult. I want to end this with a little confession. And this was my confession as I read this. Uh, we don't do like confession a lot here, but there's something very healthy about, about it. And so just want to read to you this part of it here. I have it on my phone because I intend to look at this every day along with Scripture, not, replace, not replacing Scripture. I want to look at this every day. I want to make this like the cry of my heart, because I need to adjust my expectations. I need to, I am a mess. I'm a mess. I'm not there yet. I don't have it all together. I don't want to stay where I am. I want to grow. So here's, here's my confession. Number one, uh, if you want this, you can write it down. I'll post it on my social media later. Uh, so you can kind of follow it. I'm not perfect, but I'm growing. And that's exactly where I need to be. I don't need to be somewhere else. Admitting I am not perfect, but I am growing, frees me to follow Jesus. Here's confession number two I have this morning. Would you, you join your heart with me if you're here? I don't have it all together, but I know the one who does. I am his, and he is mine. Confession number three, I'm gonna press on. I'm not gonna give up. I know this is not about what I do or don't do. Instead, I'm going to open more of my heart towards God and be willing to let him take the lead in my life. Number four, I will not enable growth problems or mirror conversations for others or myself by propping up faulty expectations and pointing to the rules. Instead, I'll keep pointing myself and those I know towards Jesus. He never disappoints. And then the last confession I have for you this morning. I hope you adopt these and make them the cry of your heart too this week. I will keep planting seeds. I will keep watering. But the growth of myself and others, I trust to God. The people I love 
are much better in his hands than they are in mine. And so am I. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that Paul led with such courage when he said, I don't do what I want to do. I keep doing what I don't want to do. I'm not there yet. That's okay. But I'm not staying here either. I'm pressing on to take hold of what Christ Jesus has took hold of for me. Would you make that the cry of our hearts? I pray that you help us adjust our expectations of what growth looks like so that we can enjoy this journey you have us on. And ultimately, we trust your promises to be true, that you began a good work in us, and you'll complete it. And if anybody has not professed faith in their heart, they, you aren't theirs. They aren't yours because they've never come to the place where they have admitted, I'm a mess, I missed the mark, I sit, and I need the forgiveness and the grace of God I need him to take the lead in my life. I pray this would be the moment they step into faith from death to life, from darkness to light as they give you their hearts in faith. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.